In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Rack. Collab. Collab. It's a collab. Baseball's been boring and play Tassie, the Red Sox podcast, 2400 Sports podcast. Baseball's been boring. Also a 2400 property. Um, we're merging together for this collab. I love the word collab. It's not a word, but I love it. It's like a, it's a version of a word. It counts. Collab. It is. A, it, is it is a version of a word. It's, it's part it's of not a in the dictionary. Could you spell yeah. collaboration? Yeah, I can. You want me to do it? Yeah. Spelling bee. C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Very good. Although- and I never want to spelling bee as a kid. I was always very bad at them. I, I overthought things. Mm-hmm. Like, they, were, they would give you, like, three easy words, and I would just think that they're trying to trip you up. So, like, I couldn't spell insect. As long as I was on the spelling bee stage, like, nope, couldn't do it. There are certain words that I, to this day, can't spell without a problem. Usually they, they involve, like, T and G-H together somehow. When you get strength? this. No, not strength. No. Wait, G and. I don't even know. No, I don't know where you're going with that. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I don't even know. It's just, it. you know what's not complicated, but it's, it's extremely complicated Theo Epstein going back to the the Red Sox in some capacity. I think that that was the perfect segue that I just executed, um, which is it is not complicated and extremely complicated. Here's what I'll say, Gordo. It's not complicated. It can't hurt. Put it on the bumper stickers. It can't hurt. Theo Epstein going to Fenway Sports Group as a part owner and advisor, dot, 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 it can't hurt. After that, it becomes a little complicated. But I want your thoughts. I want your guttural reaction. Give me your guttural reaction to this news this morning that Theo Epstein has a new job. Well, I think it's it's what you said, Rob, is we there's so much unknown for what this job's going to entail, what his role's going to be, like what he wants to do. Obviously, we know he wants to be involved in ownership. He said that in his quote, and like we've known that for some time. So like obviously, he's going to be involved in a bunch of different areas, not just with the Red Sox. But before Theo was even in the realm of possibilities, one thing that I think everyone universally agreed that the Red Sox didn't do well with Hein Bloom was they never he never had an advisor, a sounding board someone with experience to bounce ideas off of and, you know, discuss the job, you know, as a first time lead executive, Heimblum didn't have that. And I think most people, 
who who talk about the Red Sox say that that was something that they hoped Craig Breslow would have. I don't think that we necessarily expected it to be Theo Epstein, but he's going to be a senior advisor with the Red Sox. Like we don't know exactly what that's going to entail, but as you said, Rob, it can't hurt. Like you could you could say all you want that. Like he's going to be involved in all these different entities and, you know, we'll see about baseball, but everything that Theo Epstein has ever touched has turned to gold. So hopefully, hopefully from the Red Sox perspective, that happens again. And hopefully he's plenty involved, but even if he's just minimally involved, it doesn't hurt. First of all, I think it's a great point by you. It's a great point, which I didn't even think about, which is it's, the, with Heim, we, we said like, why? Where is that? Where is that grizzled veteran um, who was sort of like would say, "Hey, this is you might want to think of it this way, that way." And they had their people who had been around, but someone we all have examples of it. We have tons of examples of it of of um, Dayton Moore in Texas and John Daniels in Tampa and and going way back with Theo. Theo hired a guy named Bill Joy and. Um, Usually there's that guy and didn't didn't seem to be that guy. And it's it's not a direct correlation because as you said, on the surface, it seems like Theo's gonna have other responsibilities and other things to do. But at the heart of it, number one, he's competitive, super competitive. Number two, you know, he's always gonna be drawn to baseball. He he has a stake in the game. He was had it was a huge, huge supporter of the Craig Breslow hire. And I just said this to someone that I can't imagine. Here's, here's, here's how to make Red Sox fans feel good. Think of it, what happened the last 24 hours. The image of John Henry and Linda Pizzuti Henry and, and Sam Kennedy doing that quote-unquote town hall for the golf tournament, right? Sitting there just a couple of weeks after saying, you know, John Henry can't make it because of scheduling purposes. And – and you're sitting there and you're answering golf questions on the same day where Corbin Burns gets traded to the Orioles. It was the ultimate like bad luck. And there is no chance that Theo Epstein is that tone deaf that he is sitting up on that stage while what's going on with the Red Sox is going on with the Red Sox. Like there's no chance like that won't happen because, because like it or not, you know, all these criticisms that that is happening right now with the ownership group and Fenway Sports Group, like Theo is now part of that conversation, and he knows that, so he doesn't want to be affiliated with something that is is he 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 knows better than anyone. It's stupid to like it's it's a terrible look. It's an awful look. He's not going to be attached to that, so. And some of that's going to be unavoidable, but at the same time, there is going to be, I think, some checks and balances that there weren't before because he is attached to it. And, and Gordo, I, there is another thing that, in terms of the perception of this, is fascinating to me as well, which is this comes out just before 9 a.m. And so I had put up the eyeballs, which I hate doing, but whatever, <laughs> you know. Here, here comes something. It got it got the nation going. Right, yeah. It got, you know, like it was like coffee at like 8.45 in the morning. But it was like something's brewing with, with the Red Sox. So for that, let's say seven minutes. Let's say for, for that seven minutes, um, 
it was the reaction was people got so excited, right? For the most part, there was some, but but the idea that anything was going to happen was so exciting. And I I had texted you guys. I said, no, this is FSG related, and and then so it happens, and the reaction for me was really interesting because if you said if this happened back in October, people would have been like. Oh my God, this is the best. This is the best. It's all turning. It's all turning. But Gordo, I don't know if you get the same vibe, but it was more of like, really? Where's the pitcher? Where's our Corbin Burns? Where's our Blake Snell? Where's our Jordan McGuff? No, that's what I want. That's what we're enough of this. That's what I want. Even though we can say this is a step in the right direction, there is such that thirst for a player to actually come to this team to help. Did you get that same vibe? I did. And I, I think part of the reason for it is because of the amount of free agent. Like if this, yeah, to your point, if this happens in October, like Yamamoto's still on the board, Otani's still on the board. The possibilities are endless. None of, like Corbin Burns hasn't been traded yet. Like all of these possibilities are still out there. Whereas now I think most people agree, like everyone wants to see the Red Sox get a good player. They want to see the Red Sox get a potential frontline starter. But even if the Red Sox get Jordan Montgomery, I don't know, you know, and especially, you know, certainly not in the AL East, but I don't know how competitive they're going to be even if they get Jordan Montgomery at this point. So I think people see... But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I'm going to interrupt you. It doesn't matter. Like at this point, to me, it doesn't matter. But that's why the reaction is like that. Because if you bring Theo in, it signals, oh my God, they are back to the Red Sox of old. They're going to do this, 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 and this. Whereas now we've heard from directly from the team, they're lowering payroll. They are basically telling you to your face that they're not going to be competitive in 2024. So after hearing that, even with bringing Theo Epstein in, I don't think, I mean, people might have a lot more hope for you know the upcoming years, but I don't think Theo coming in, particularly at this point in the offseason, changes the outlook for 2024 and I think people I think people know that I think that's why they're like people were thrilled but I don't think it changed anyone's outlook for the upcoming season and it shouldn't well the you know and I think the ultimate gut punch it was the ultimate gut punch was of all the gut punches this offseason right guys signing elsewhere we should do a power ranking for this Red Sox gut punches but at the top of the list must have been the last two days with the Orioles because when you have the ownership group doing basically the idea that you have a local guy with a billion upon billions of dollars, as our guy Eric Arditi said, he has Magna Carta money, which is, you know, he just buys Magna Carta because whatever. Like when you have the John Middleton type guy all of a sudden going to the team that's already loaded with prospects and this is the last piece of the puzzle and then... 24 hours later, they do exactly what everyone was wondering. Is this going to happen? They do exactly what you were, you were petrified of the Orioles doing, which is using their prospects to go trade for the, the guy with a one year deal left, Corbin Burns. So that was the ultimate gut punch for the Red Sox because you're still sitting there. You're Yankee Soto, Verdugo, Strowman, um, Blue Jays, not a lot, but I tell you what, Justin Turner, he's, 
He's not on the Red Sox, and he's with the Blue Jays, and that helps them. Um, Big time. The Orioles doing their thing now. You know, the Rays, whatever. The Rays, you just like, just wake me up on opening day, and then they'll rattle off 40 straight wins and whatever. But you know, but but that was to me like the ultimate gut punch. So there was like so this news at just before nine a.m. was all right. It's something, but Gorda, we're sitting here. We're sitting here as we sit here. It's a week and a half before pitchers and catchers, and I've all I've kept saying this. Let's wait. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, when spring training starts. The, I don't know how many free agents are going to last in spring training. I think that you're going to see a lot of these guys come off the board in the next week and a half. And if you go into spring training with this approach and this roster, then uh, to me, like if we're power ranking gut punches, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate message. None of this other. None, I don't give a shit about like any of this other messaging. I don't care. I don't care about levers and throttles and payrolls and and whatever Fenway experiences the proof is is what you do and you have a week and a half to do it you have a week and a half to do it realistically that's it I don't know where yeah. I was going with that that's my right no I'll go back to your point about the gut punch because you know we we do the play testy podcast we're from a fan perspective we don't hide the fact that we are Red Sox fans like we're, we we don't we're not writers we are we are literally fans doing a podcast and so when the Red Sox do well it like I mean as lifelong fans and like this team is like a part of our personality it's part of our lives and when they do good things it makes our lives better and when they when they do bad things and deliver gut punches it hurts this off season I feel like there's been a lot of gut punches but I hadn't really like personally taken them too hard for whatever reason. Them, the Orioles selling and immediately within two days getting Corbin Burns while the Red Sox are simultaneously sitting on some stage doing literally what they're calling a town hall for the PGA when they refuse to do a town hall for their own fans, the fans that started this portfolio for them, the fans that basically made them who they are. That was a big gut punch. And I... I, I'm curious your thoughts if if you think that the timing of this Theo Epstein thing has anything to do. Like, do you think they timed this out so that directly after the gut punch of the PGA Tour investment, which, trust me, they know Red Sox and Liverpool fans are not going to take well. There's a reason that Linda Pizzuti turned off the comments on her Instagram posts when she's when she's talking about the PGA stuff. The comments have been turned off for the last few. Do you think that there was any sort of interesting timing with this Theo Epstein thing, do you think they were kind of just waiting for after the PGA tour to announce no, this? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I think it's an interesting point in the sense of they can't be blind. They're trying to placate their new partners, right? Having this town hall, whatever, but it's such, and I, I'm totally with you. It, it's such a bad juxtaposition where two weeks later you say you can't make a, a town hall, literally a town hall. Still call it that. Right, right, right. So you can't make it because of scheduled conflict. And then you show up. Not only do you, John Henry show up, but Linda Pizzuti Henry shows up and sits there. You know, so you you have that. 
you can't be blind. You can't be so blind to not understand that that's a that's a terrible look. And I will say this: in their minds, they also why they're sitting there understanding this is a terrible look. Because if, if they don't understand, then then that's the worst part. You know, you're you don't then you just sort of like checked out of reality. You not only turn off the the mentions, the comments, you've turned off everything. But I guarantee you that they're sitting there knowing that at 9 a.m., just before 9 a.m., that they're going to get this huge boost or perceived huge boost by Theo Epstein. I mean, think about this. In the Sportico article that, that they broke at Sportico, they had, as I said in the story, like video interviews with Sam Kennedy and Theo Epstein. I mean, this didn't happen at... I don't think they're doing those at 7 a.m., you know, Friday morning. Like, they knew, obviously, when they're sitting there in that PGA thing, they know what's coming. So they're taking the slings and the arrows, and 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 maybe they're thinking, oh, well, go, go, you trade for Corbin Burns, go ahead. We got Theo Epstein coming. That's it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do say, know this, is that it can't, it can't hurt. But I think that what is underestimated, I think one of the, I'll come back to my sort of initial rant. I think maybe one of the things that they underestimated was this power of Theo returning to the Red Sox, which everyone wanted so badly, has been eclipsed by the anger of everything that has happened this offseason. I, I think that they probably miscalculated that, and we're seeing that right now. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you look at who the Red Sox have brought in, not <laughs> ignore the players. Look at who they've brought in to their front office or to whatever you want to call anything that's not on the field. They start with Craig Breslow. They brought in Andrew Bailey, Kyle Bodie, Justin Willard, and now they've got Theo. That's, that is a haul of executives, coaches, whatever. But it doesn't matter when, at least from an offseason perspective, when you're talking about fan perception – Fans look at the product on the field. Fans look at the depth chart. Fans look at the batting order. And that's always going to be for some people's minds. And when the anger has built up to this point after all of the inaction, the false promises, the walking back of those promises, the winter weekend, calling calling the fan base liars, like all of this stuff mixed with having a worse roster than you had on the last day of the season. I mean, Dio's a great – like. Theo's a great guy to have in your organization. But if you don't have the player personnel to win games, it doesn't matter who's standing in the executive suite. And fans know yeah. that. Nobody, nobody's going to say, I got the Theo Epstein ticket. Nobody's going to, with, a, with a jersey that says Epstein in the back, although maybe they are now. I don't know. But it's, Might as well at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you might have but, to. But, but it, I'll come back to the sort of the, the window, the week and a half window. Which is, and I've been saying this for the last few weeks, and it's not anything like, I don't think, groundbreaking, but something changed. Like, so, you can't tell me something didn't change. Something changed. You're talking about with the messaging. You're talking no, about, like, no, no, from no, not the, the messaging. The messaging has been a mess across the board, right? Something from changed. From when to when, then? No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying something changed in terms of when... When they fire Heimblom, 
and the 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 whole full throttle. However, what? But more of like when they fire Heimblum. Okay, we're pushing away apathy. We're gonna like make plays for Yamamoto and these. We're gonna be we're gonna be the shock in our Red Sox. And maybe not the shock in our Red Sox, but certainly the aggressive, the more aggressive Red Sox. And then you, as the offseason unfolds, you hear that that just simply isn't the case. And Craig Breslow is a competitive guy. Like, I don't think Craig Breslow is sitting there, if he had his money, that he's not going to spend it. I, I honestly don't think that. So I think that that's where I'm talking about something's changed. So we have a week and a half window here to go. So another reason I, I'm pretty sure something changed in terms of philosophy is that Craig Blaisel is smart enough also to not get up there and say, we need top of the rotation pitching. You know, we need to get better. We need to get better. And right now, and being on paper isn't everything. We all know this. But right now, on paper, they aren't better. They're worse. They're worse. Because Verdugo for all his flaws, was a very good player. Justin Turner was perhaps perhaps their most uh, or or the second most impactful offensive player, you know, in in, in so many ways. Leader in the clubhouse, which can't be discounted either. We don't know if the Giolito for Chris Sale thing is just a wash. We don't know that. Like, we have no idea. It could be. Even if it is, Paxton too. Paxton's gone too. So right, Paxton, who was for the first half of the year, is it, is good, and Von Grissom is a really intriguing guy. But what we know about Von Grissom is that his strength is not defense, which was the other priority. You literally said we have to get better at the top of the rotation and better defensively. Gordo, you're a smart guy. You tell me. You tell me how they have gotten better in either one of those. No, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't, it's, they haven't, they, they're, they're, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're worse defensively because I think it's impossible to be worse defensively than they were last year. I think literally you could throw the same roster on the field and they would be a lot better defensively. And hopefully, you know, some changes to the coaching staff can change the defense for the better, but the pitching staff is not better. The lineup is not better. You can't, you can't make arguments for either of those things i'm like i guess maybe for the rotation if you wanted to say that sale and paxton weren't going to stay healthy but it's a two for one swap like even even if you don't think they're going to stay healthy like there's just no argument to be made they, like, they're either further moves have to be coming or on paper they're they're a worse team than they were last year you just you can't even argue and and and, and there's nothing wrong with projecting the guys are going to get better there's nothing wrong with hoping guys are going to get better. But if you're going to do that, and, and this includes, by the way, their young players. Like this is, you can't expect, you can't say, oh, Sedan Rafael is going to be this guy. Will your is going to be that guy. You don't know that. And it's okay to, to integrate those guys. But the good teams, the teams like the Boston Red Sox, should understand that you do that while having some semblance of certainty around you. And that's why, like, for me, like, Jordan Montgomery is not a perfect fit. I think one of the things that people undervalue out the the risk of Jordan Montgomery is that you need a good defense behind him, right? This is – talk to people in Texas. Like, they're like, yeah, of course, there's tons of the good things to like about him. But 
He's a ground ball pitcher. You better have a good defense behind him. All right. But still, sign Jordan Montgomery. It helps perception. It helps innings. And it also takes pressure off a guy like Brian Bayo. It takes pressure off a guy like even Giolito. Like, the guy's pitching in a big market like Boston. If he gets off to a bad start, we don't know, like, how that's going to manifest itself. But, you know, Garrett Whitlock, fine. He's... You know, he's Adonis now. He's great. It's, he's in great shape. You have all these maybes. That's fine. Lasky, but you know the, one of the times that they had a lot of maybes that, that, and they banked on the maybes? It was the five aces. But he's the ace. He's the ace. He's the ace, man. It was and, – and all of them showed flashes. Can you name the five aces? Oh, I can I – can, okay. I know Justin Masterson and Wade Miley were in there. Yeah. Clay Buckles was in there. Yeah. Uh, Rick Porcello wasn't in there, was he? He was. Maybe he was. Yeah. He was in there. We were past Felix Dubrant by that point, right? I can't believe you get not getting the last one. Oh, it's. I mean, Lester was gone. You want a hint? Yeah. Oh, my God. Joe Kelly. <laughs> The Cy Young pick. Cy Young pick. The Cy Young pick. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically where you're at with this Red Sox rotation right now. Like, all of these guys have upside. If they all hit their ceiling, like, oh, yeah, Giolito at his ceiling is going to make 30-plus starts, and he's going to have a Giolito is Rick Porcello. Yeah, he is. And and Rick Porcello is one of my favorites. One of the Cy Young. Like, it's and it's fine. But you know what you had to do? You had to go out and get David Price and Chris Sale, you know. Yeah. So and 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 you know who understood this? The Baltimore Orioles. They have good pitchers. Grayson Rodriguez. You think they were like they were happy? Like, hey, you know what? We had this really good team, but we're going to roll out with Grayson Rodriguez in hopes that he like no, he, he might be awesome. But you know what? You have someone you know is going to be awesome while you're figuring out that other guy's awesomeness. And the thing, Rob, is I, I think all of these execs know this. It's not like they, they're in these jobs for a reason and they, like, they've seen what works and a lot of these guys have experience with past teams and have seen it work in their past teams, whether it be with them or with their rivals. It's just it, so much of this, and we've heard a lot of this this offseason. Like Zach Scott has said this a few times, and I, it's always resonated with me about – it's not the executives don't want this. It's just that you have to convince ownership to spend. And whether that be FSG, John Henry, or whether that be any yeah. other team, you well, have think- to convince. And that, But that's to tie it back to Theo, that, that's another interesting part of this hire is because I think a lot of people are under the belief that Heim Bloom was not necessarily equipped to be that guy that's going to make John Henry put pen to paper. And convince John, like Dave Dombrowski was great at that. You're, you're convincing it ownership. You're, you're making you're making a lot of good points today. You're in the zone because it's so mm. true. What you're saying is true. I mean, and thanks to Zach Scott, who's been offered us like a glimpse behind the curtain of some of the stuff that has gone down. But it it's true. Like Theo, you know, convinces them to spend on Carl Crawford and John Lackey and. And you know whoever else, and and you're right. I mean, he and then I think Zach was the one who said it too that that 
Dombrowski was the one to say, "Hey, listen, I'm gonna. I want. We should go to bat for Chris Sale's contract." And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get they get per- burned by one, and they make this pivot to, "Oh, we have to be more economical, and we have to be more careful." And I think that you're right. I think there's sort of this perception of, well, you know, well, you know, like Heim was brought in to do this. So is he going to really ask for, I mean, he obviously asked for money for Devers. Um, At some point they asked for money for Trevor's story. But, you know, even with those, you wonder how much of that was ownership still like, we got to, hey, we got to, we got to get these guys. We got to get somebody in here. We got to get somebody in here. There's, there has been no, like, we got to get somebody in here, a semblance of that. None of that this offseason. And we, we don't know how those conversations between ownership and Craig Breslow have gone and if Craig Breslow's asked for money and been denied it. I like to think yes, because, oh, my God, how could you not have expected to have a little bit more to work with than Breslow has had? Imagine coming into a situation like the Red Sox where you're coming off a last-place season, fans all think – that you're about to go huge, but now you're being told that your payroll next year has to be lower than the payroll bo- right before you got there. Like that's a really hard task, and it's a hard situation to deal with with the fans. I think the one thing that Breslow is getting the benefit of that Hyde never got is that I think a much higher percentage of fans have an understanding that these issues are ownership-driven issues, where I think a lot of the fan base in the past thought, Bloom had his way of doing things and was just kind of insisting that it never made sense to me. Like, why would Bloom insist that they don't spend money? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think there was, I think that Heim wasn't alone in this. I think there's, there's a, there's definitely this sense of um, we're setting, you know, this is what we see him at. Like, uh, you know, I, I have examples, but the example that I never understood, one of the examples was like Zach Eflin, right? Zach Eflin, all right, you bid the same. And and everyone, you know, leak, you know, leaking out, you bid the same, pounding your chest, you bid the same. He just he's from Orlando. Well, no. First of all, you know taxes are gonna be different, so you gotta bid more. And also, you also know that you're the Boston Red Sox and you should never be outbid. For the, by the Tampa Bay Rays. That should never, ever happen. And one of the things that I think that the Red Sox, I don't know if they understand, but there has to be an element of we have to bid more because of multiple. This is no longer the the days of come on in. Like even like Kenley last year, like Kenley want, had that perception of the Boston Red Sox were going to win because they always won. I'm going to sign here. I'm here for two years. Let's go. Those days are over. There's no more of that. There's no more of like, I'm going to come to the Red Sox because it's such an awesome tradition and, and so everything about it. No, there's the millionaire's tax. There's the, there's the lack of, you know, talent compared to everybody else in the division. There's the last place finishes. There's all of that. And, and so you got to pay more. You just have to pay more. You've become that team that has to pay more. And, and, and every time this is brought up to the Red Sox about, about I remember when you know, they had the the press conference immediately after the season about well people wanting the job what and Sam Kennedy get all pissy about it about oh you know if they don't want to be with a storied franchise like the Boston Red Sox and we don't want them well no that's not how it works it just isn't how it works anymore 
So until yeah. you get back that that vibe, you got to pay more. It's pretty crazy that they've they've simultaneously become the team that has to pay more to get players to be enticed enough to come to their team, but simultaneously they're spending less. And that's that's how you end up in last place multiple years in a row and projected I believe right now to be a last place team for a third straight year. Yeah. And so it's funny because we look through the signings that they missed out on. And like, so I keep coming back to Zach Eflin last year. There's others. He was great. Bogart's one isn't a good example because no one was going to pay him 11 years for what he got, 275. But, um, and everyone's like freaks out about Turner, but even that one, Gordo, I can. All right, if that's not the the exact type of player that you want, no matter if it's a one year deal, then, and you don't want to clog up. If you, that's not the guy that you want, then fine, that's your prerogative. But you better make sure you get the person that you do want, because right now that person on this roster doesn't exist. If they want to, if they want to play Yoshida. At DH and play O'Neill and left against you know whoever. If you want to do that, play that game. Well, you're worse because I'm sorry, Yoshida isn't the hitter that Turner was last year. He isn't the clutch guy. He isn't the situational hitter. He just isn't. He's a nice complimentary guy right now. And O'Neill, you know, I hope he does well because he's a friend of the program. But again, you're hoping for the best. But. Yeah, so I don't know who who they lost out on. Who you like that one? What the hell? Yeah, what bat? What bat did that for them? What bat was their Zach Eflin of this year? Or has that not even happened? Are they just because like part of me thinks that they're just and and maybe this works for them? But you see these teams checking off boxes like Arizona gets Jock Peterson, Toronto gets Justin Turner, uh, L.A. Angels get Aaron Hicks. So you're just checking off teams that are filling up these DH spots and outfield spots. And maybe they're just waiting for like, we don't care who it is. We just want to get a good deal on someone who can hit the ball and play the outfield or play DH and whichever one comes to us will come to us. And maybe it's Adam Duvall or maybe, maybe they luck out and Jorge Soler has no suitors and comes crawling to them on a one-year deal. I don't know. Like maybe that's their mindset, that, but that's it's a risky mindset yeah, for I mean, a big think- market team. I think that position players, we all know going into this year, position players, it wasn't a very strong free agent market. Remember Teoscar Hernandez? Maybe he's an example of it. Oh, yeah, that's their guy. Yeah, probably. That's the guy. But yeah. they, they they didn't put anywhere cl- – and, like, I know that there was, a, like, those reports of them needing to shed salary, and that never came or hasn't come yet, at least, and it certainly didn't come before he signed. But, yeah, I mean, they they – all those reports of them loving Teoscar Hernandez and they never gave him even anything remotely close to a competitive offer. Like he signed a below market deal deal from a total value standpoint and Sox weren't even really close to that. You know what they're going to do? Here's what's going to happen. All right, let's hear it. February 5th, my son's birthday. Happy 21st, ber- 25th birthday, Riley Bradford. Um, on truck day, they're going to have a big, big box. going to be a big box, about six foot three. You know what's going to be in it? Jordan Montgomery. 
Wow. It's going to wheel them over from Chestnut Hill. Hey, you know what? You've been in Boston all this time. Just waiting for the truck. Hop on in. There you go. They'll be like, you guys are you guys are ridiculous. You've been complaining all offseason. We were obviously waiting for truck day. Like, <laughs> come on. By the way, I kind of felt I, I almost felt like they weren't going to do truck day this time around. And it gotten that bad. They they're throwing the and I like I hate to be the guy to say this, but like they're like they're throwing the rubber baseballs or whatever, but I just I truly don't know who's going to be there to catch them. It's going to be the first time they're being like, pelted with a, like being thrown back. <laughs> By who though? Who's who's going to go out on a Monday morning in the cold February weather for truck day for, for this Red Sox team after to this point, how the fans have been treated like Theo Epstein is not drawing people to truck day. I got like, news for you. Theo is not going to truck day. No, I don't. I don't think Theo will be in attendance. Theo will not be in that box. No, Maybe Theo, Jordan Montgomery will. Theo is not, I guarantee you, Theo is not going to be used as a prop. You know, he will not allow himself to be used no. as a prop. You know? God, no. God, no. no. He is way, way above that, and, and he knows this ownership way too well to fall into that trap. Yeah, no. But, as I said, week and a half, who, who knows? Maybe they're playing the Jordan Montgomery market perfect. Maybe they're playing the Jorge Soler market perfect. Maybe they're playing the... Who else? I don't know. Tommy, maybe they're playing the Tommy fan market perfect. Oh, God. <laughs> Rob, I have a question for you before before we 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 finish or move on or whatever. Yeah. And this this is this is a question that I know you don't know the answer to, but I'm asking you to think here. If the Theo Epstein thing is gonna be a precursor for for anything, I'm gonna give you two options. You tell me which one is more plausible. All right. So the first one is that this is sort of them transition. Like he, he comes into an ownership role and it sounds ridiculous as I'm saying it, but I'm saying it anyway. He comes into the ownership role FSG or like John Henry and and whoever at FSG are like, they're starting to prioritize these other things. They're doing the golf thing, whatever. And this is just like a step towards them eventually selling the team to a group that Theo Epstein will then be a part of. And he's kind of the bridge. So there's either that or this is Theo Epstein is going to, I don't know, play whatever ownership role needs to play directly with the Red Sox while the John, John Henry and whoever else plays a role worrying about other things in FSG's portfolio. And this is actually FSG setting the stage so that they can own the team for, as Tom Warner said, decades to come. I think it's, I mean, I've, I don't know what the difference between the two you just said, but I think well, that, one of them is them selling and one of them is them holding on for oh, oh, several right. years. Yeah, no, I could see the one holding like in, I think the quote, the ownership quote from Theo and the Sportical article, that was telling. I mean, I, I think that this is what he wants to do. Like, I think he wants to be an owner and um, which can be a complicated thing. And, but, you know, this is, as he said, I mean, I think his words almost were directly like, you know, this is my path to my goal of being an owner. I'm owner. Yeah. And so I think that's ultimately the end game. How that manifests itself with John Henry or almost more, most, he certainly is equally important, Linda Pizzuti Henry. You know, how much, you know, how much say is she going to have in this? 
You know, so, you know, because obviously she's she's become more powerful in a lot of different ways here, right? So the Globe, Nesson, a lot of things. And so it's that's going to be an interesting dynamic to me too. But I do think ultimately uh, that, that that's best case scenario for everybody. It is. If, hey, you know what? You guys do whatever you're going to do. And I don't. And honestly, Gordo, like, I don't begrudge him for doing all this stuff. Like, I don't get into, like, oh, how dare you own Liverpool? How dare you, you do this? How dare you do that? I, whatever. You can do anything you want. And and I I never was sort of like, oh, that comes out of the same bucket. I didn't say that either. But the 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 seemingly the dramatic change in philosophy this offseason, it suggests that if – even if financially it's impacting one is impacting the other, the attention that was given to the Boston Red Sox has changed because this sort of stuff, you can say whatever you want about, Hey, you know, John Henry went down to Dominican to seal a deal with Rafael Devers, like Gordo for the first 18 years of his ownership. We all knew what the investment was. We all knew that this guy was, all in on the Red Sox, all in at every step. And now just not even by showing up and doing this stuff and, and showing up to the golf stuff, it's like that that suggests that that has changed. It's changed and, and things change, right? I mean, it's a long time. The shit changes. Sometimes it changes, but it doesn't matter. You can change it or not change it. It's bottom line business. And the bottom line for the Boston Red Sox isn't booming. There you go. That's the punctuation. You make a good I, – I was on your boat with the whole – I never cared. Like, when it was just Red Sox and Liverpool, so many people were just so frustrated with the Liverpool thing. And I never understood it because the Red Sox were still – like, you look at 2018 and 19, they were still way over the tax. It was a team with the top payroll in baseball. So why would we care – that they own this stake in Liverpool. Why, why would we care if their attention is divided between the Red Sox and Liverpool if they're doing their one job, which is to spend money at a high level? Like, they're spending a ton of money, so who cares? But when you're decreasing payroll while you're increasing investments in other areas, to me, that's when that argument starts to uh, actually make some but, sense. So here, here's, here's what I also think you have to factor in. Is that John had let's let's go back to let's go back to Moneyball, right? I mean, I don't think this is talked about enough. When John Henry tried to 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 hire Billy Bean, that terrible scene in the Fenway press box. I love that scene. Come on. Yeah, it's like, what do you anyone who knows like what are you bringing him up to the first row of the press box for? You know, it's like, come on. You gotta uh, see the field, Rob. It's 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 the aura. It's the Fenway I, I field. I get it. I get it. It's beautiful. But, it's the Fenway experience. I know. That's what I say every single day. I'm up there every single day. Um, but there was a reason why John Henry wanted that because he was intrigued about how they were doing that. Right? They were intri- He was intrigued about the way they were doing that without spending a lot of money. And and I think with the high and bloom hire, there was a lot of that too. Like 
I am very intrigued as a businessman, like how this is happening, how this is the, the most economical way, efficient way of running an organization. And, and this is what, and I think that's the sort of mindset a guy like that has, which is, it's not just, it's, it's, I'm always looking for the next big thing. It's kind of like, and I'm talking through this as I'm thinking, but it's kind of like the next big thing. Oh, well, the next big thing, Jose Abreu, we just lost out on Jose Abreu. Next big thing, Cuban players. Yeah. Ruzi Castillo, you know, like they, the Red Sox ownership group has always been chasing its tail. Like that's one of the things they've been very successful, but in so many instances, always chasing this tail. They're chasing the tail with Moneyball. They're chasing the tail with the Tampa Bay Rays way of doing things. And so that's how I feel. It's sort of what's going on here, which is he's like, it's like, and also I'll give you another example. Remember the quote, direct quote from John Henry. You know, it's it's proven that pitchers over 30 aren't, you know, aren't worth it. I'm paraphrasing. But you remember that quote. Like, he had the quote. He was like saying, like, pitchers over 30 uh, shows that the pitcher. Well, obviously, like, that was what the industry was thinking. And since then, we now know that, that that's not even true because of the evolution of athletes and how they take care of themselves and everything else. But they're always chasing their tail. And that's how it feels right now with what is going on. It, it, and, and I'm verbalizing a column, I think. But it's, it's, I think it's true. That money ball thing, that – have you have you did you just come up with that on the spot that that comparison with John Henry like as a businessman how the hell is this Oakland thing happening and then that becoming like twenty years later how are the Rays doing this yeah did you is that <laughs> I'm gonna use that that's good I like well, that it's, that's a great theory there you go it's a great uh, connection but it's, it's not it's, even a theory it's it's a thing no it's and and so the only fly in the ointment with that was the perception that all oh, the basically what the perception was was what they were chasing wasn't the A's and what the Rays back then it was the, what the Dodgers became right that was when when because John Henry with all of our resources and doing it this way but I kind of feel it was more because you can't forget that these guys make a lot of money for a reason it, there's there's a lot of John Middletons out there who are just like, hey, listen, I know I'm going to lose money, but this is my legacy. No, they're caught. I mean, this is the reason why Fenway Sports Group exists. It's not because their love of racing cars or hockey or golf. It's because of we think that we can do something here that is financially going to be profitable, along with. But maybe, maybe showing everybody that this is this is how you win. If you do it a little, let's not be beholden to the Dave Dombrowski way of doing things. And I think that that just can't. I think that that's the mindset here. I it just and I can't get past it. Like I can't get past it. And and the unfortunate thing is, you kind of applaud. A lot of people who think, hey, you know what, I want to do things a little differently. But the problem is there's too many examples of them trying to do things differently a little bit too late and then things changing. 
or things the old school way of proving themselves to be the right way, which is, you know, Texas Rangers win the World Series. Why? You know, because Corey Seager's on the team. You know, Marcus Simeon's on the team. Nathan Avaldi's on the team. These guys you 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 paid a lot of money for are on the team. They had nothing to do with analytics or or getting over on someone. It was just like, we like this guy. We're going to pay to get him. So there you go. It's all about just identifying the right guys and getting the, getting it right. Because Tom Warner, I want to say multiple times at Winter Weekend, pointed out that the highest spending teams didn't make the playoffs. And he's right. The, the top three last year highest spending teams did not make the playoffs. But the counter argument to that every single time is what you just said. Is How did the Texas Rangers win the World Series? Tell me that. And well, then it's, well, and it is. It, it's it's I mean, it's like, but that's the problem. And that's, Gordo, that's the problem. I know we're going along, but whatever. But it's, that's the problem is that there was enough examples of teams doing it the way that, like this, this way of doing it, which is we're going to, we're going to figure out the system better than anybody else. There was enough examples of that, of winning, not the World Series, but winning that they could point, well, look. I mean, and Tampa was a perfect example of that. When they hired Heim, you know, the Rays had won as many, if not more, games than the Red Sox over a significant stretch of years. So, you know, you you have that way of, of – you have the successive way of doing things, but didn't you get to the ultimate goal? Like, didn't you – did in, in business-wise, was this – the Orioles can do what they did because they gutted that franchise for five years. Gutted it. It was depressing going seeing the stands, and now they have to build it back up again. And even last year, I was talk, when I was talking to Eric Ardidia, it's like it took a while for them to get people back in the stands last year. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean the, the chasing the tail thing, man. Like that's you start with Moneyball, and then you go for the next twenty years, and you can and you do the math. Give, I'll give you the examples. So there you go. But in in synopsis, Theo Epstein dot dot dot. It can't hurt. <laughs> yep. Before we jump, Rob, congratulations on the book. Oh Rob yeah, Bradford, it'll be good. It'll be Daniel good. Bard. Yeah, this is exciting. This I, is exciting. I, I tell you I'm what, happy for you. This is awesome. No, no, I was in honestly like so. We just started, but I can tell you, just talking to him like out of the gate. It's better than I thought. It's like better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's more of like, a, and the reason why he wanted to do it was it's just motivation. Like he, so many people wanted, viewed him as not even in baseball, somebody who overcame something that people didn't think you could overcome. And, uh, you know, it's, I give you like one small thing. It's, it's, he talked about because I asked him about holding a baseball on the mound, on the pitching mound. I said that must be when you're dominant. That must be the best feeling in the world. Like my, you're the center of attention. It's the best. And he's like, yeah, I gave examples of it. And he said he got to the point where literally holding a baseball, a baseball, made him physically ill, like physically wow. ill. Like, that's how powerful this thing was. 
So yeah. Anyway, chapter chapter five. I don't. Know. <laughs> All right, that's good gonna be good. Stuff. I can't wait. 